Hey everyone, this is Socratic Hobbits, a podcast where Kyle Morse and me, Daniel Hayward, try to ask big questions and then answer them. Sometimes we stay on topic. Thanks for listening. Last time we were talking, you did a new, uh, a new device. Oh yeah, I have it. It's behind me. I just had this already set up. Uh, always change things up on me. Mm. That's alright though. Uh, yeah. Are, do you? You know what I just noticed? I think you always do our podcasts uh, sitting on like a. I want to call it a Bosu ball, but it's not. It's just a exercise Sw- ball. Swiss ball. Swiss ball. Did the Swiss come up with that? I don't know why it's called that. I mean, presumably, doesn't look anything by like their cheese, but. Oh, that was a bad joke. Uh, how you doing, man? We're starting on a roll. Nine. Well, no, I don't know how much of this is coming in. I, you know, it takes a minute for us to warm up. Oh, let's see. Uh, and I was figuring we could just like, you know, we chatted for a bit after we stopped recording last time, and I really enjoyed that. Yeah, it was good to catch uh, up. Yeah, especially when so, we didn't really get to at uh, James's wedding. No, no, you were a popular man, and uh, me and my wife knew basically nobody except for you and james and people that i could count on one hand you should have just come up and inserted yourself in the conversation yeah i think you would have been actually pretty fascinated by some of the conversations that we were having i'm sure i would have but uh some of uh the people that are in my marriage are not uh, as outgoing and that would be really uncomfortable for them well they they could get a (laughs) glass of wine and hang out Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Part of it was, I mean, yeah. So we were in Boise for like less than 16 hours. Yeah, you you missed the time change. I (laughs) hardly, yeah, barely. Uh, I will say we stayed at this really interesting um, bed and breakfast. Did we talk about it all last time or have you and I talked about it? No, we really, I realized after the fact that we really didn't talk at all about that wedding. We talked about the wedding I'd been to the weekend before when you were in California. That's right. So it was a probably a six bedroom house, uh-huh. or or it had been converted into like six bedrooms, and um, all of them had uh, number pad locks. Okay. Pre- pretty much every single door in the house that I noticed, they had uh, maybe five or six arcade games in the living room, along with a uh, probably a knee high table in the living room that was maybe 10 by 15 feet. It took up almost all of the floor space in the living room. Okay. And a not quite as large, but close table in the kitchen um, or the dining area. And uh, you could probably have had 16 or maybe 18 people sit at that table comfortably, perhaps more. So this was an Airbnb? This was an Airbnb, and uh, in addition to this, so in addition to everything I described, uh, they had like chickens and goats out back, along with um, some very efficiently um, used raised beds. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, they just like, presumably that was their their business. Um, I think that, I think she... The gal who ran it mentioned that her husband was an engineer, or maybe it was, I don't know, they were married. Um, but yeah, so that, that was like her full-time job, mm-hmm. and she she was pretty much available. Um, so they lived there? I think so, yeah. Uh, but in addition to that, they probably had like a twelve or $1,500 espresso machine in the kitchen that was just available for use. Uh-huh. And so we left with very good coffees and... Uh, my wife and I were talking as we left. I was like, "Well, if we ever come back to Boise, we'll we'll stay here." Nice, but yeah, it was yeah, it was really it was really comfortable. Um, but yeah. So, how many of the rooms did they rent out? Uh, the nights that we were there, uh, as far as I could tell, all of them were rented out. Um, do, do you mean which ones were available to rent? Um, I guess I meant how much of the house did they reserve to themselves and their family, and how much of the house was Airbnb. I would say it was probably 80% Airbnb. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, I think that they had a, um, probably a very large, I, I don't know if you've ever been in somebody, they used to make these in master suites where there would be like a bathroom attached, which is pretty normal still, but then there would also be a sitting room in the, in the master bedroom. Okay. Yeah. And I think it was, the only thing I can think of is that it's probably one of those setups. Uh huh. But the, the, like the, I said everything was efficiently used in the backyard, but it's like it's pretty much postage stamp lots. Um, they had. Um, you've seen our front yard. Yeah. Our front yard was bigger than I think their front and backyard combined. And they and had they goats still managed... and chickens. Yeah. Pygmy goats or normal size goats? Uh, there might have there might have been pygmy goats. Okay. I think I just saw evidence of them. I didn't see them. So they might, there was green space behind the house that didn't look developed. Um, and they might've roamed out there or something. I don't know. I do know um, there's a family at, at church who, who raised pygmy goats for a while. And actually mm-hmm. they, they were trying to breed them to milk them, but um, it was taking too long. And oh, so, so you they, have to milk a lot of goats to get a cup. Yeah. Well, he, he the husband was saying that there is people have bred them to actually get a decent amount of milk out of a pygmy goat. Hmm. Um, well, they can eat. I mean, if they're like other goats, they can eat a wide variety of things. They're yeah. particularly picky. Huh. That's pretty cool. Anyway, yeah, it was really, really interesting. And the the garage you could see was set up like I, I couldn't quite tell what was going on. There were three towers that looked electronic and it looked like there was water cooling on them of some kind. Oh, <laughs> you think they were uh, like, um, what do you call them? Bitcoin farms? Mining. Yeah. They had that. And then there was a full gym set up and one of the bays was for a car. And it was, I think a three or four car garage. It was uh-huh. a pretty, pretty large house. That's pretty cool that they got that set up because right now crypto mining gear is crazy expensive because of the cost of uh, chips. So, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They had a couple different uh, kind of things going on for them. But yeah, it was anyway. I mean, for the time that we were there, it was really enjoyable. Did they have any kids or just the two of them? Mm-hmm. I think it was just the two of them. They were... Uh, yeah, probably not much older. Your yours and my age, plus or minus three, I would uh-huh. guess. Yeah. So, um, yeah. How's like how's work and stuff going? It's been work has been. We're in a little bit of a lull for me right now because we're between the time when we release parts and the time when we get parts, and right now we're figuring out how to like work our way around uh, difficulties in getting parts. Um. Mm. Home stuff. Like it's chips or chips, other stuff. sheet metal parts, um, everything, plastic parts. Making my way through a, a couple of books right now that I'm really enjoying. Are they um, self help books, Kyle? Nope, they are absolutely not self help books. Although they do have a lot are of they, are, pers- are they self hindrance ap- applications? Um, okay. One is the book I've mentioned before, which is the Wonderful Works of God by Herman Bovink, who is a Dutch theologian. Uh, around the turn of from the 19 1900s to 20 to the from the 19th 19th to 20th yeah 19th to 20th century mm-hmm. and then um the other book and so that's that's a kind of a lay theology book going through just the broad um scope of christian doctrine and then the other book is it's an abridged version of Winston Churchill's six volume series on world war two. And that book's been fascinating. Just getting insight into Churchill as an executive, especially between 1940 and 1941, kind of the executive of the free world and how he managed his time to be effective and how he set himself up to, um, work on things where he could provide the most input for get the most out of what he was putting in while bringing people around him who could um, fill his deficiencies and excel in their own right. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah. I I know he would, I mean, obviously from the world war two stuff, I would take all that with a grain of salt because 
he might have his own specific opinion. I mean, he was, he doesn't pretend to be, um, well, what do you say? Like unbiased. He doesn't pretend to be unbiased. He, uh, dirt about the war. What do you mean by that? Because I mean, obviously he's not going to say that like Hitler was okay. Um, that's a very interesting interpretation of what I said, but no, I don't mean I I'm talking about. So in, in a war, you're going to have, um, faults, right? There's going to be poor decisions, I think, because you're given a limited amount of information. Mm -hmm. And I would say that for the most part, a lot of generals wrote memoirs after wars that they participated in. Mm -hmm. And obviously I don't think that anybody who fought on the allies side thinks like, Oh, maybe we made the wrong call and shouldn't have stopped Hitler. But I do think that they're going to posture, explain themselves, um, show why they did what they did was right. Even though you can, you know, to say that they didn't have mixed motives in making certain decisions or. um, And I think that's what's so cool about reading someone's autobiography is you don't have any anything between them and how they're describing things. And so if you've interacted with the people, you, you can understand why they're presenting the decision that's been made a certain way um, in a way to, to make themselves look better. And then you can also see where they're being really honest about, yeah, we, we messed up here and I wish we'd done it this way, but instead we did it this other way and it, it caused a lot of pain and misery. Um, yeah. Does Winston Churchill, so how far are you into his autobiography? Um, well, this is just the autobiography. Well, it's kind of an autobiography and kind of a history of world war. So, so it goes from, he goes from the end of world war one all the way to the end of world war two. And Mm -hmm. right now I'm in 1940. So does he talk about, I guess, uh, World War II officially started, at least in my remembering, is 1939. Yep. With the invasion of Poland. Does he... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. So, does he talk about... I mean, have you heard him talk about any mistakes yet? Or is he not really talking about it from his point of view? Is he talking about it from the point of view of... He's talking about from the point of view of... Um, the British people in particular through, through his lens. Okay. And he's, he's made, he definitely has a soft spot in his heart for the British people, obviously. Um, But he's, he's described, okay, at this point, if we had stood up and said, we're going to enforce the armistice signed in 1918, Hitler would have been done if at this point we would have stopped the stood up strong against the Italians in Abyssinia, Hitler wouldn't have had um, uh, Mussolini to to rely on. Or if we had just given Mussolini Abyssinia, Mussolini wouldn't have felt the need to go to Hitler here. Mm -hmm. If we had reached out to um, Stalin and the Russians, um, Stalin would not have viewed the British and French is weak and would have stayed on our side and not made an alliance with Hitler, which allowed Hitler to attack France and Poland. So do you feel like when Winston Churchill, when Churchill is saying these things, do you feel like he's being honest or do you feel like he's doing something different? No, I think, well, I think if you read it, you'd see like, cause he goes through and says, okay, we got to this point right here and this was our last chance to, stop world war two from happening. Hmm. Okay. And if we had, if we had taken a strong line here, we, if, if we had just, when, um, Hitler invaded Austria, if we had, uh, responded by invading, um, taking back the Sudetenland, Luxembourg, that area, um, that would have caused the, the German people because, because the German army was weak at that time, that would have caused the German people to realize that Hitler was not someone to be followed and he was leading them down a path of ruin. And that would have kind of gotten rid of the aura or the gold shine around Hitler. 
And he mm-hmm. wouldn't have had, because he went into Austria and even though the looking at um, in, information from the German sources after the war, uh, historians were able to see that the, the, the German military fell apart when they tried to like roll into Austria. And it was like mm-hmm. this huge mess. Um, yeah. It was just because Austria was so um, weak compared to Germany that they were even able to take it over and had been so undermined by the uh, secret police. Um, but but Hitler was in a very vulnerable spot at that point where he was claiming his role as the German uh, protector. And all that needed to happen was the allies to go, oh, actually, you're not. And we just took this ground that you had claimed was your own. And it Hmm. didn't even, we didn't even lose any people doing it. And it would have just, there were a lot of German generals um, at the time who um, wanted Hitler out of there because they, for a couple reasons, one, they feared what, what he could do. And, And the second thing, um, which Churchill doesn't really hit on, but you, you kind of see it in the tension going through there. And I think this actually influenced Bonhoeffer as well. Um, the aristocratic, aristocratic class in Germany um, mm-hmm. really did not like Hitler because he was a peasant in essence, who was coming up to rule. And so they wanted to get back to the Kaiser and the way things had been with the the German monarchy and possibly like a constitutional monarchy like um, Britain has or some other places. I, I don't know that things would have been any different if Hitler had been stopped right at the beginning. Um, at, at least, I mean, uh, things probably would have been different, obviously. But uh, the German people were starving, right? I mean, and prior to Hitler, they were dying because of starvation. And I mean, and and Churchill re- addresses that too, and addresses how poorly the Allies after World War Two, uh, World, World War One, One thought through the situation they were putting the German people in. Yeah. So does he talk about that mistake? And basically taking away. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's where he starts. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, yeah, I guess what's probably coming out right now is that I'm suspicious of Winston Churchill because he's, uh, yeah, I just feel like in modern culture, he's seen as this like stalwart defender of freedom and like he I, either either through letters or um, other stuff that's come out long like long past World War II, like he enjoyed being at war. Yeah, and I think he had been the prime minister. He had run either run for prime minister or uh, do you know? And then he he didn't make it. Yeah, he he was a cal- he was a cavalry officer. Yeah. Like that, that was how he got his start. Sure. I just don't, uh, yeah. I just don't want to praise somebody who wants a nation at war. Right. I think that war is like a necessary, I think that going to, that's yeah, in, I guess war is a necessary evil. That's, that's interesting. You say that because he spends like the first half of the book talking about how Britain could have avoided this unnecessary war. Yeah. And, and so again, that's why, and maybe I have to revisit some of the things that I think I know, but that's why I'm suspicious of those comments or those, um, yeah, just the things that I, you know, the the things that you're saying from, you know, from him. I guess I fall more on the side of here's someone who did really great things and I'm not going to be the critic who critiques the man in the arena because i think there's a temptation is it okay to be suspicious because i'm not criti- yeah because i'm i'm really not critiquing him i'm just it's new information that i'm not just swallowing is that is that a is that critiquing 
I think it's it's fascinating how quickly you latched on to swimming caps and how suspicious you are of Churchill. I'm curious about that. How sorry, swim caps? Yeah, the uh the episodes a, a while ago or a couple episodes ago where you were talking about how terrible it was that people weren't being allowed to swim in the Olympics because they had the wrong swimming cap. Yeah, so that was I mean, that's a that's an index of other things that were happening at the same time where basically black people were being um, disqualified from being in the Olympics at a, yeah, just at a differently than other people who were not black by the Olympic national committee. And I guess I think someone caps was part of it. I think that a lot of people were also like smoking pot is legal in many States at this point. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and they found pot in, in a black person system. I'm sure that they were not the only person who had been smoking pot within the, you know, I don't know how long it stays, but she was sent home. Um, women are more likely think, to test positive than men because they have a higher body fat. Sure. I, I don't disagree with that, but yeah, there was just a handful, like, I, I don't know. It, the swimming cap was, was one of a few things, but yeah, I guess when I when I see somebody and uh, when I see a group of people being treated differently than others in a negative way, mistreated, uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say something because I don't think it's right. Right. Do you think about how you're being presented that information? Um, how it's all rising to the surface at the same time. I suppose not, but these are still things that have happened. And so I'm I'm curious what you're getting at when you say that. I guess I'm I'm surprised. I guess I was taken aback by your reticence to just look at um, the story of history from someone who experienced something that that really shaped the world, and and your hmm. your your questions around whether they represented things accurately, and then with something more something more recent which has been um which could be viewed in the in a similar light as okay people are people have an agenda to get out a certain message and you're less suspicious and i'm and i guess i would say that there's equal chance on on in both cases that the people who are presenting the story don't have an agenda just as there's a possibility that the people who are presenting the information do have an agenda, but you seem to be more um, eager to hop on the let's look critically at this and not as quick to look critically at this other thing. And I'm curious if you see any difference in how you approach the two data sets. Yeah. So, Again, I'm not throwing everything out Churchill said. He was there. He played a huge part. I'm not saying, I just, uh, he's held up as a, as a giant among men. And generally as a, a good character, right? Or a good person. Okay. Do you, do, if you disagree with that. I think he's held up as a strong leader. Okay. Sure. Um, the way that I have heard him talked about, I'm going to go with, like, I've seen him just as a, as a good person, really the last, like, you know, that's just been my experience. Like when I, when I just, when I've heard him being talked about and just the general kind of myths and legends around him and the kind of, um, yeah, just the stories that come down around Winston Churchill, right? There was an interesting book recently about, it was like 40 views of Churchill and it, it, mm-hmm. it kind of went through like, okay, these people thought he was great for these reasons. And these people had issues with him for these reasons. And he was, he was, he was human. He mm-hmm. had, um, in, in certain regards, he could be characterized as, as a failure, as a father. I mean, he wasn't a believer. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he definitely had his, flaws and and faults but i i guess the thing that rubs me the wrong way is is um there there's a there's a desire 
there seems to be a desire in our culture to tear down anyone in history for any flaws they had. And, and, and we saw this most obviously with the uh, tearing down of, of statues of historical figures um, mm-hmm. most in last year. And so instead of looking at, okay, what are the great things that we can, that this person did that we can build on our, it seems, there seems to be this cultural movement, not, not across all culture, but in, in certain elements of culture to go, let's focus on what this person did poorly and forget about or erase the history, the story of what they did well and really rewrite history. Yeah. And, and that makes me very, I, I'd say I'm, I'm antagonistic towards that, um, that effort. Okay. So that's what I hear when, when I hear you going, well, how good does he represent himself as? Because when I'm reading this story, I'm going, okay, what happened here? And what can I learn from both, both positive and negative? But then the question I heard was focusing on, on the negative as opposed to um, the positive and start, I guess, starting at the negative. And so I, I'm curious why you start there. I don't know that you are curious, Kyle. You asked a question about three minutes ago, and I've tried to answer it, and you have talked over me. And I'm, I'm more than willing to let you talk. But for me, Winston Churchill started as this golden boy, and I actually didn't say anything specific critiquing him. All I said was was that I want to I want you I want to have a nuanced view of him, right? And so of course, the story that somebody tells about themselves, especially about some huge events where there are so many points of views, of course I want to have a nuanced view. Winston Churchill did great things. I think he was a fantastic leader for the time that he was in, and I think that we can learn a lot from him. And this I think what you're seeing is me processing information at different times. Because with Winston Churchill, I haven't thought about him at all in a long time. He's just not somebody who's at the top of my list, right? I mean, not something not something I'm actively interested in. Whereas that stuff related to the Olympics, I had already processed a lot of that information. So you were getting mm. something that was a week or two, and I had decided on what I had made up my mind. It's real. Something that's really interesting to me is that the way that you're expressing yourself right now is basically how my wife does when she says something that I haven't heard anything about, and I'm immediately I squint like, I like Socrates, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> like that's the whole as part of why we named the podcast what it is, is because at least for me, I I try to without being cynical, being suspicious. Like thinking about motives, asking questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. I mean, if that is really super bothersome to you, then then we should talk about that. Because I, I really don't feel like I was saying Winston Churchill was a horrible man and we shouldn't learn anything from him. And it seems to me a little bit like you're representing my suspicion as the culture that you see maybe a flavor of in or even a tinge when I, that wasn't like that. I I don't know how you could have gotten that from the things that I said. That that's, that's a helpful explanation. And I appreciate you, you putting in that context because that does make a lot more sense. Um, And you're right. I should have listened. uh, Let you say that. (laughs) I mean, I love you, man. I I really do. And you know, I want to keep having conversations well, you keep having conversations with your wife, so I'm sure we'll keep having conversations. Yeah, I'm not married to you. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I'm happy to continue to learn. Like if there's something else you wanted to share from Winston, Winston Churchill, but that's how I process things. Mm-hmm. And that's how I process things from, I mean, you know, I, I don't know if you've heard, I, I don't know if any of this is going to end up published because of the, <laughs> pretty personal conversation at this point but my buddy deconstructed his faith 
And I thought what he meant was, is I'm trying to go back to basics. And what he meant was he is completely deconstructing his faith and is not a Christian anymore. Right. And that's been, I mean, you told me about that. That was months ago. Yeah, he had, yeah, he had started a long time ago. Him and I haven't talked in probably two or three months now. Um, But I am, I'm not deconstructing my faith. I think that's stupid. Um, And that doesn't even really make sense to me because I can't not, I can't deny the, I can't deny God. It just doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, I know that's a a form of God's grace. Like that's God's grace that I, like that that's the spot I'm in. Um, I do think that we should deconstruct perhaps some of the mythology around people who were alive a hundred years ago doing good or maybe not so good things and understanding that George Washington was not perfect Mm -hmm. and take, but taking the good with the bad and not just saying, Oh, here's the bad. Now we need to completely tear them down and we can't think about who they were or what they what they did that was good because they did these evil things or had these dumb beliefs or they weren't as progressive as we would like them to be because at that point we don't have any historical figures to look to at all. Right. Right. And so, I mean, so some of what you're saying was like, it wasn't hitting the mark, but it was like, it was still in the right. There was some of that that was a little true, but like taken to a much, I feel like, something I said set you off and it it took it too far. I think part of it was I've been really excited with these two books I've been reading. Oh, and I popped your balloon or pooped on your parade. Yeah. I'm sorry, Kyle. Which is sort of interesting. Do you think that's part of what comes into the discussions with your wife where you, you come in or she comes with something that she's really excited about? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, I'm learning. I am learning how to communicate different things. And one thing that her and I talked about recently was impact versus intention. And uh, there's another phrase, like another phrase that I've heard that that kind of encapsulates the idea there that is a little bit more common, but it's like grace for me, mercy for others. I know what I was thinking when I was doing something. Mm -hmm. I know what I intended. With the other people, all I see is what resulted from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm learning how, like, when I say something that's hurtful um, and she expresses pain, my first reaction should not be being understood. Even though part of me thinks if she only understood, then she wouldn't be hurt. But that's very unempathetic. And instead, I should kind of meet with her where she's at. Because I think understanding what where you were coming from was really helpful to me in the sense that I got to my concern was around how like for all of us living in this time, how what are the things that are that are molding us? What are the things that are informing our decisions? Mm-hmm. And so when I hear what sounds like a question about should we really um should we be looking to winston churchill what was the what was there worth in this person and mm. what they did the, yeah. th- that's how that that's how what you were saying i know you didn't intend it to, to come off that way and i realized that i real and that's how i took it and so i'm going okay what is influencing daniel and what's what could what um patterns of of thought or are, are there patterns of thought here that are going to lead him down a dangerous road mm-hmm. or a road that I'm concerned about him going down? But then when you yeah. explain where you're, where you were coming from with, okay, I've processed this, this long, I've processed this, this long. And, and this is where I've come from with my understanding of Churchill and, or how Churchill's been held up in the past. You sounded a mm-hmm. lot like you were describing the same person and i don't want you to have you talking to me um i don't want kyle to have a 
mythological view of someone who is flawed. So you were doing the same thing to me. Um, Probably. But yeah. Um, Are you afraid I'm becoming too liberal? Does that concern you? Progressive, not liberal. That's the difference. Um, Liberal is, I, I, so I'm, I'm, I'm hearkening back to a book I read recently where liberal has, has more to do with, I guess, a, a desire for advancement and this is very semantic. So I don't know how hard and fast to draw this, but, but liberal is more of a desire for the new to, um, generate improvement. Whereas progressive is adds on to that, a denigration of the past. And you would say that you're in a, in maybe not all seriousness, but in, in at least a little bit, you're concerned about me being progressive and not liberal. Yes. Hmm. Well, as long as my liberal friends think I think I'm way too conservative, at least I'm balanced. There you go. Depends on uh, how. how <laughs> depends on how liberal they are. Yeah. Or how conservative the other friends are. Yeah, I mean, I would say you're more centrist than a lot of my super conservative friends. I don't know how I manage. <laughs> probably, it's probably that I don't I don't bring up way too much politics with people that are. Um, uh, too too far outside the standard deviation. Like, there's a group of people that I just haven't. Now I used to go to church with them, I guess, um, but I haven't seen them in like a year or more, and it's just like, you know. And if I did, we just wouldn't talk about stuff that is really important to them. And uh huh, because I fraud. Yeah, rah rah rah. You want to talk about personal development? That's as good a segue as we're gonna get. Um. Sure. Do you feel like I mean, that'd be too too hard of a path, too hard of a switch? No, I, I guess I'm not sure how much there is to discuss. Like, because it kind of comes down. It's pretty simple. Okay, I'll lay it out for me then. Well, I guess I was talking to someone else, and and they they said they don't have time to read personal development books because they're two or three good ideas and a bunch of fluff to to fill the pages. It depends on how long you spend on the personal development book, doesn't it? And and that and that kind of made me think. Well, I mean, you can get around that by just skimming through to get the the important the two or three things, and then skipping all the fluff, which I've definitely done. If you think that you ought to, if you're going to purchase a book, then you ought to read the thing from cover to cover. Then I would probably agree with the statement. There are a lot of personal development books that are not worth the time it takes to read them. You don't get as much value out of the two or three things, two or three, you know, things that you get out of them as it's the, you know, however long it takes to read a book. Like if it's 250 pages, you could probably read it in like three to six hours, depending on, you know, maybe depending on your your reading speed and stuff. Um, If you're skimming it, you could probably do it in an hour and a half too. Mm-hmm. I mean, depends on how, how hard you're skimming, right? If you're just, just the very top, then maybe you can do it. Because generally you can get the first paragraph and then skip to the next chapter, maybe the last paragraph. It depends on how they've laid it out. Um, if they've done good things with formatting, then yeah, you could probably skim it pretty pretty quick. But you could also just, instead of bothering with the reading of the book you just google whatever the name of the book is plus summary and you can read instead of skimming an entire book you can get maybe 60 percent of the value from a you know from an online summary of it yeah one of the actually it's not a summary but there's a youtube channel called fight mediocrity that i really like for doing just that Mm. with a lot of books it's like a six minute and then he has all the like little graphic fun graphics of stick people and that sort of thing. Sure. I, um, yeah, I, out of the like probably 60 ish productivity books that I've read, I would say three of them, maybe two hold most of the value. Would you say that the other in this example, 57 are mostly derivations off of those the points made in those three or did they get 
No, I think that I think that those th- three books. Sorry, actually, you know what? Let me let you finish. Can you please say your your whole question again? I'm sorry, Kyle. Do the fifty seven books kind of combined cover the same information as the three, or do the fifty seven go into other helpful areas? Just there's not much. It's more sparse. Sure. So I would say yes, in general, they're more sparse, but also those two or three books shore up my greatest weaknesses. Oh, okay. So that is a different. So there's, you know, there's two kinds of sports in general. There's a strongman sport and then there's a weak link sport. Soccer is a really good example of a weak link sport. If you have a really, if you have really bad defenders or if you have a really bad player, um, they're going to lose the ball for you every time. Right. There's, you cannot have, I mean, so if you think of some of the most famous like strikers, can you, can you name any soccer players off the top of your head? I mean, there's Messi and Ronaldo and Neymar and. Okay. So Lionel Messi is probably the most famous one, at least that I know of. Um, especially right now. But yeah, for a couple years now, actually. Um, but. Oh, I mean, because he just left, uh, Barcelona. Well, I didn't know that. I don't pay attention to these things. But he doesn't hold the ball, isn't the one who's in control of the ball near as much as a star basketball player. Right. Or, yeah, it's just like, so the, the he might hold it 2% of the time. It might even be that low. I don't know. Um, whereas a star basketball player can like really dominate. They don't. I mean, there's still, I wonder if there's a different, like, even though it's a team sport, it's still very much a, very much a strongman sport. Maybe those are the two best examples. I don't know. Basketball is also a weak link sport in the sense that if someone is weak on offense or defense, that the other team will either attack the defense or slough off the offense and focus on other players. Okay. Well, maybe maybe basketball is not the best I just feel like when Michael Jordan was playing, he would routinely score more than half of the points for the whole team. Is that not true at all? No, I mean, I mean, I mean, in a particular game that's happened, but generally like in LeBron's day, the average point totals in the hundreds and he averages in the high 20s. Well, is there another strongman sport that you can think of where one player can definitely make the difference? I've always heard that the different, like, and and maybe even those two sports kind of compared to each other. I mean, compared to each other, basketball is definitely more of a lean on your strongest player sport as opposed to lean on the team sport. Mm-hmm. Generally, that falls apart in the playoffs. Uh, um. Well, can you think of another strongman sport that would be a better example than basketball? Wrestling. But then you're just, just mono, <laughs> Sorry. mono a mono. Um, <laughs> I mean, Jiu-jitsu. every sport has its moments. Every, I guess every team sport has its moments, right? Like baseball, if you have a really dominant starting pitcher. So there, mm-hmm. with the baseball and football, it kind of comes down to the position. So I see. If you have a really dominant pitcher, they can control the game. That's why starting pitching is so critical for the playoffs because then you get into a situation where you can have your top pitcher pitch two or three, maybe even three times in a series and make it really hard for the other team's offense. Um, in football, generally, it's it's the quarterback position in mm-hmm. these days with the way the rules are set up. If you have a fast accurate mobile quarterback you can go a long ways um, because you can just out offense the other team uh in any case as far as books go like i don't know that i would have found the books that i found if i wasn't in like if i didn't read personal development books as a rule okay if that makes sense so i think the value i think there's value in reading them but I will say that they, for me, it was, it was a, it was a long season. It was probably three years of reading really consistently from the library, um, listening to books and then, and then readings, you know, and then purchasing some that 
for for different reasons so i think you know you get if you read 10 books a year then yeah maybe maybe one of them is life-changing in some way Mm -hmm. but i do think that you know uh i don't know have you and i talked about anki at all i think we have yeah so yeah when i read a book especially like my assumption is that i can get most of the value out of a book in an hour ish Mm -hmm. and then i turn the things that i learned into questions and then i review those questions and remember them for longer periods of time so that i can use them there's like different different quotes different things that i think on like one that i've thought of a lot of at work has been problems don't happen they grow kind of like sin (laughs) what's that yeah sure absolutely so you deal with it when it's small it's not near as big a deal and you can avoid most of the consequences of an action if you deal with it in the beginning. Mm-hmm. What questions did you write out to help you rem- remember that one? That was a quote. That was just somebody told me that, and I knew it was valuable, and I wrote it down. Oh, I've thought okay. about it since. That so uh, there's something called a close uh, phrase. I don't know what you call it, but it's basically like a fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. Is, a, is a different type of card in Anki. Okay. And so I think the clothes card says problems don't happen. And then it's just blank. And I have to remember that they grow. So that's the card for that particular quote. Close. C-L-O-Z-E. I don't know what it means. That's just, And I, I talked to uh, one of my teacher friends about it. And he was familiar with that word, but I had never heard it before. Anki. Huh. So. It's essentially a fill in the blank kind of test question. I think if you were to, if you were to Google it, you'd come up with that kind of stuff. Oh, so it is a close. I. Yeah. I'm tracking now. <laughs> you were giving an example of a close. <laughs> I was, I was giving an example of a close. So Mad Libs are a close. Yeah. I guess. I think that that doesn't sound right, but I don't know how you would say it instead. (laughs) Learn something new every day. Listen to the Socratic Hobbits if you want to learn something new. Now learn what a close is. Yeah, there you go. Well, you're not listening. You're participating. I learned about, uh, I probably learned a little bit about communication and how popping somebody's bubble makes them feel. And even if my intentions were good, it doesn't really matter. Yes, it does. so much. I mean, does it? Yeah. If if I give you the, the opportunity to explain your intentions. I'm glad, though, that you um, you you described what was going on, going back to the, the clothes and, and the books, mm-hmm. how you use questions to make the main points of the book memorable. Because one of the things I was, I was thinking about with regards to non-self-help books, um, biographies and that's and, and books in that genre where you can look at people who have done things or activities that then were made decisions that then that exemplify things you learn in a self-help book. It can be more memorable to see that occur in the arc of a whole story that impacted history as opposed to in a self-help book. A lot of times there's, there's, there are these little vignettes that are meant to drive the point home, but are kind of, not always, but often sort of fluffy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they've like changed all the names of everybody, and also taken out all of the like realistic details. Right, of, right. And it just—it's like, yeah, it's annoying, is what it is. But the way you've gotten around that is by using the questions to anchor the main points. Um, yeah, which also drives home the idea of skimming through to get through or reading to it, listening to it on two times speed or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. It is much harder to use the method that I talked about listening, listening to stuff. Cause typically when I'm listening to something, I'm doing other things. I'm almost never listening and just sitting. Right. And so taking notes or whatever, especially on two times speed, you have to wash, dry your hands off from washing the dishes. And then it's, Oh, that's next chapter. Where was I at again? Yeah, 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 exactly. Are you commuting?
too long view these days. Yeah, I am. So are you getting in lots of listening on the road there, or do you mostly commute in silence and think? Um, on the way to work, I listen to either the Bible or uh, sermons by uh, John Piper, Tim Keller, David Platt, or worship music. Um, I also talk on the phone with my dad most days. Um, he's, I tell you, he got COVID. Um, my wife shared some of the, uh, the drama from the, the Slack thread. Yeah. I mean, he was, his oxygen was at like a 90%. He had a really high fever. He talked about like making sure that he had a will. Like he was, he got it bad. So he um, was hospitalized? No, he pretty much refused to go to the hospital because he's a cranky old man. But <laughs> I mean, he's also come out of it. So that's good. To hear. His, his, uh, yeah, it's definitely a blessing. Um, but his sister, my aunt, um, texted my sister and I a lot about it. Um, so that was, I just hadn't really interacted with my aunt that way she was very um very protective and wanted to make sure that everything possible was being done was being done for my dad um so she's his uh oldest sister okay and he's um the youngest the youngest by i think it's like everybody was about within five years and then he was five years after the the last one okay he's the he was the baby baby of the family um anyway so yeah so hey anyway him and i talk in the mornings and then on the way home uh i've been listening to this um yeah it's a story it's a long it's this uh it's a it's an rpg podcast which probably in somewhat sparked the you know the interest that i had with you which kyle texted me today and basically said like i don't know how this fits in with anything that you guys are doing but it's like on the theme of you know it might be fun but it's it's not you know it doesn't fit in the groove of what you guys are doing what does he think we're doing i don't know i don't know that he realizes we're just having fun for the most part <laughs> <laughs> we're just I was, asking I basically... each other hard questions yeah i mean i just honestly i like i texted him and he didn't respond and i said something like well, he's he's probably on a shift or something. Well, him and I had, had a little bit of a conversation about it, and I was like, I'm just not concerned about thematically fitting our podcast. <laughs> we don't have I, that many. We, I don't know. I really want you to ask him what he thinks our theme is. He said uh, he he already said he said uh, little little people asking big questions. Well, that's a cop out. That's what we we said it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what him and I had talked about, he was. Uh, an idea that he had was um, I was thinking about you guys to being being uh, gnome gnomes or dwarfs or halflings seeking uh, seeking a book of some kind or doing a, like a story doing a, a little collaborative story with that kind of as the oh so really trying to weave it into the theme well so so what that lends itself to there's like a couple different so obviously this is not something we would do like. Um, this would be like a one a one shot is what they call it. It's like it's like we maybe maybe we should save this for episode twenty. The the one shot. Yeah, probably. I mean, this might be an episode at a time. We'll see. But the oh, are you saying me explaining it to you or just just the one shot? No, the the one shot with Kyle. Okay, so with Doctor Blomgren. With Doctor Blomgren, um, the. <laughs> What the the like gnomes seeking a book lends itself really well to is a single like, kind of like encounter where there's a heist and you have to do these different things in order to try to retrieve something. And so that that was kind of what I was like, that's why the, the part of why that would work, because um, we're not going to tell uh, like the story that I've been listening to on the way home and like on my lunch breaks. Um, They've been telling the story since 2018 and they're still 
they're still telling it. So this is like it's, the Game of it, Thrones series epic level. Uh, probably. I mean, in like, I mean, they record for two hours every single week and have been doing it since 2018. It's their full-time job. There's like, there's this cat, like there's five or six people. I like, you know, and the others that I've listened to that are of similar length, they would record for like an hour a week or two hours a week. So it's like a voice acting troupe. Kind of, but they're writing their own screenplay or not. As it's like, as it's happening, right. You're, with other people it's collaborative storytelling it's where you've got like five writers in a room and there are certain rules that everybody agrees to play by and then you isn't that called improv yeah it's very improvisational absolutely but there's it's a little more there are rules that allow you to you don't just say you do something most Uh of the time you say you do something and then if you're in, you know, there's different rules for combat. So if you're doing combat, then you have to abide by those rules and there are benefits or costs if things go bad or well. So yeah, that's kind of like the, how do you define all the rules? Cause isn't it kind of like uh performance enhancing drugs where people are always creating new ones that, um cheat the system no so wizards of wizard wizards of the coast puts out official official books uh-huh uh once every probably once a year um and ignorance of the law is no excuse <laughs> yeah but like you can say you know if if you wanted to you could play with just the basic rules and you agree at a table these are the rules we're going to play by and then you play by those rules. And then if at a later date you find, hey, we would prefer to add this new book um, that includes these other things. Like one of the books that they put out had specifically to do with um, guilds and different things, like different organizations within this world of, um, I'm trying to remember what the name of it's called, but I, I can't right now. Um, and so then... You, you play by these new rules and these guilds exist in your world and you can interact with them. You can, you know, choose to be a member of one of them or fight them in some way. I don't know, like, or oppose them. So, yeah, that's kind of, I don't, gosh, I don't know how you would. It'd be nice if there was something that I could just like, here, Kyle, read this one page on Wikipedia and <laughs> you'll have a pretty good idea. But like it's improvisational uh-huh. with some constraints and um in order to figure out whether you succeed or fail at doing certain things you you have dice and it's it's randomized in that way so then just like in the real world like you if you fail at something like you have to figure out something else in order to get what you want or change what you want or the cost is significantly more or you know it's like it's kind of whatever the the game master comes up with what rule would prevent you from shrinking down to the quantum size so you can teleport um well with different races and classes you have different abilities and um as far as i know there's no ability that would do that you so like you can't just um decide to do something you'd have to figure out how you're going to do it and maybe you say hey i'm going to spend you know, and let's just say, for example, you, your game master says, okay, well, you don't know how to do that actually at this point. Like there's nothing in, in your like character sheet that says you can do that. But you know of this wizard who can teleport and he lives, you know, 30 miles away. Oh, so it's up to the game master to tell you this is allowed. That's not allowed. This is allowed. That's not allowed. It's it's almost never like no, you can't do that. It's like yes, you can do that, but uh-huh. here's this cost. Or yes, and the cost to doing that is like the life of something that's at least as intelligent as a mouse. So every time you want to teleport, and you have to learn how to do it first, you have to kill something, and it's like well, that cost isn't worth it. That's gross. All you have to do is kill a mouse so you can teleport? Depends on what game you're in. That sounds totally I mean, worth it. Yeah. 
Uh, well, you can kill something more intelligent than a mouse, too. But you don't. You only get to teleport once. I don't know, man. I'm just... It's off the dome. <sighs> I am going to stand here forever. That, see, that would, be a, that would be a boring game and not particularly fun. I'm probably... I'm curious what the dungeon master would say. Well, see, but you've, you're, you're typically playing with other people. And, and the, the like main point of RPGs is to have fun together. Well, everyone else can stand around, too, and we can chat. <laughs> then we got a podcast. Hey, guys, Daniel again. Just wanted to say thanks for listening. Also, thank you to Explore for the music. I'm not really sure if ratings on iTunes or other podcast services helps. You could try that if you enjoyed it or uh, sharing it with a friend, someone who you think might uh, enjoy it as well. And if you didn't, you can go ahead and drop us a line. We've got contact info in the show notes. You can also support us uh, like a dollar a show. Thanks. We'll uh, talk to you guys soon. September 17th, 2021, HMS Disappointment, Captain Dispatch to the Admirals. Dear Sirs, today we searched again in vain for news of the HMS Socraticovitz. The world has received no updates from the vessel for a month or more. The two Admirals, Daniel Franklin Hayward and Kyle Rockefeller Morse, have been rumored to be seen at events over the last few weeks, but these rumors have not been vetted. One, Pam Hunter, a reliable woman of good moral fiber, claims to have seen Kyle with his family at a church event where a large group of church goers travel many miles up the course of a large river system and then turn inland and sojourn at a quote-unquote family camp. One reason I doubt the validity of this account is that the naming of such an event as family camp seems a little too on the nose. If this was indeed a religious gathering, as stated by the witness, I would expect them to have a more believable title for the event, perhaps the yearly pilgrimage of believers to the pines? I'm told that there are many pine trees in this land. Photos have also surfaced among the people of Facebookistan, where an individual who appears to be Admiral Kyle is standing atop a large hill, or perhaps mountain if you were in the eastern states of America, with people who resemble members of both his immediate and extended family. This photo has yet to be authenticated, and the odds of Admiral Kyle leaving his Brazilian jiu-jitsu mats for a hike up the hill when he could be rear-naked donkey guarding someone seems unlikely. As for Admiral Daniel, little is known about his recent movements over the last few months. In the last dispatch from the HMS Socratic Hobbits, he mentioned working with his brother-in-law on knife-making. This makes me fear the worst. It is well within the realm of possibility that he had a falling out with his brother-in-law and has been slain or seriously wounded. The people of Slackland have purportedly spoken with him and say he is a leader of their Monday evening religious gathering. We will keep searching and checking with the inhabitants of Utuberia for updates, but the outlook is not good. I fear unless we hear from them soon, we might have to declare them lost and focus on the building up of other podcast vessels like the USS Business Wars and the HMS Field Sports Britain. The weather has cleared, and there is a favorable wind for home. The dispatch boat is anxious to be underway. I will send more word when I have news. Your servant, Captain James Tiberius Kirk Hunter. October 11th, 2021. Dispatch to the captain of HMS Disappointment. Dear Sir, HMS Socratic Hobbits has been afflicted with an overheating malfunction the previous 90 days. Startup was delayed. The HMS Disappointment, now dubbed HMS Appointment, was spotted briefly during this malfunction, but from afar, HMS Appointment was preoccupied. Little to no contact was made. 
Admiral Hayward is unfamiliar with rear or forward naked donkey guards and will not comment further, but reports were noted regarding the yearly pilgrimage of believers to the Pines. Pam Hunter's report was reliable. The grievous wound Admiral Hayward received has been repaired, though not the feelings, Tyler. Slackland's reports are less reliable. There has been a change in regime, which the Admiralty has been banned from discussing. It is advised that captains continue to work on other vessels, such as U.S. Business Wars. Um, it is advised... Okay. It is advised that captains continue work on U.S. Business Wars and other podcast vessels. Amazonia took HMS Socratic Hobbit's fuel as a processing fee. Clear skies ahead. Yours respectfully. Admiral Daniel Wooster Franklin Hayward II.